This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. What's up, Elevate? How you guys doing tonight? Oh, come on. How y'all doing? Rock on, Caroline. Well, tonight I spent about, I don't know, three or four days working on the message for tonight of the Little Black Book series. And then I learned about the football games. We have the hurricane coming. I realized a lot of people are evacuating. And so I wanted to put that off. Thanks, Isaac. I wanted to put that off until um, we knew that everybody could be here. And so if you'll forgive me, tonight is a little bit underprepared, but at the same time, it's really close to my heart. So if you'll track with me, if you'll open up your minds, if you'll allow yourself to, you know, the Bible says that we're going to, we're going to love him with all of our hearts, our souls, and our, our minds, right? And so tonight I want to pursue God with our minds. We're going to open up God's word tonight. And my goal is to give you tools that whenever you study the Bible, you're able to squeeze every drop of truth out of it that you can. It's no longer just words on a page. It's not just black ink on white paper, but it becomes something that comes to life to you. Like the Bible is a fascinating book. It like the Bible itself is, I think, a testimony to God's existence and certainly a testimony to Christ. When you think about how fascinating this is, like this is not one book. Like this is a collection of 66 books written by 40 different, 40 plus people from multiple nations over a couple thousand years. And what was amazing is that even though most of these people never met each other, they testified to the same God with the same truth, pointing to the same coming Christ. And every one of the predictions came true. So those books are collected into what we have as the Bible to show who Jesus is, what he did when he walked the earth, and what his purpose was. It's fascinating. How do you have puzzle pieces across the millennia and across the world come together to show a perfect picture of Jesus? Unless it is fueled by God himself. So I'm excited tonight. I want to just give you tools and so if you'll follow me down this journey, we're going to dissect a psalm together. And then in e-groups, you're going to dissect a psalm yourselves, and you're going to ask all the same questions and follow the same track and see if you can begin to twist and wring this for more than just words on a page, more than just basic flat ideas, but for, for what God is speaking through it. I want to begin in Second Peter Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 16. This is Peter talking. Remember who Peter was. He was one of like the key disciples. He was there at the transfiguration. He was there when Jesus raised the girl from the dead. He was kind of in Jesus' inner circle. And he wrote this book. And so you're reading first-person account. Let's begin. 
For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's saying, look, when we came and talked about Jesus, we didn't, we didn't come up with this stuff off the top of our head. We didn't just make up a story or, or a figure, a fictional character named Jesus. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him from the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So it's talking about the Old, the Old Testament. This prophetic word about who Jesus is has been confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So imagine a world that doesn't know God, and Jesus is this lamp that shines into darkness until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. As in, when you didn't know Christ, you were in darkness, but the sun has come, and it's right on the horizon. You can tell because the morning star, Venus, is up there in the sky, and it means that the sun is about to rise over the horizon. That's what Peter is saying. Jesus is coming into our lives, and it's sweeping away the darkness. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. I love what A.W. Tozer says, and I'm, not, I'm going to get his quote wrong, but basically he says that, God is eternal, he's everlasting, he's infinite, and so every word that he speaks, it doesn't fade like the sound waves in the air. When he speaks, it also exists eternally, because it is of God. And so his word is true from everlasting to everlasting, just as he is true from everlasting. The goal of studying scripture is to discover its meaning. Now, I know that sounds like a duh, but a lot of people have treated scripture the way Politicians treat the Constitution. They just try to interpret it and reinterpret it, and they try to remix it, and they try to bend it and twist it to mean different things. But when we study Scripture, we want to understand what did God mean? What did the author intend to say? Not what what do I get out of it for this season of my life? Not how does this fit the what, what my church believes or my mom believes? What is Scripture intending to say? That's what we're trying to find out. Because if God spoke it and it was purposeful then, it, it continues to be and speak to be purposeful now in our hearts. So the Holy Spirit used authors to write. And they were writing on purpose. They were coming from a certain worldview. They were writing to a certain audience with their own worldview. And they were writing in certain ways to communicate a truth. So whenever you read something in the Bible and you're like, man, this doesn't make sense, there's no part of the Bible that's intended to be a secret code. The book of Revelation is not a secret code for us to figure out. At some point when John wrote it, he meant it to communicate clear truths at that time. And so if we're going to unpack the Bible, we have to understand the context of the author, the context of the, the hearers, the readers. So we're not going to get too deep into that kind of craziness. But I want you to understand that there is a purpose for everything that's said, and we're going to try to learn and grow in understanding that purpose. So there's five ways that we can analyze Scripture to start squeezing and wringing every ounce of, of truth out of it. The first thing is genre analysis. 
Whenever we open the Bible and we look at something, we want to ask ourselves, what genre is this? Is this telling history? Is it poetic? Is it a letter being written from one person to another? Is this meant to be a, a parable, which a parable is not necessarily a true story, but it tells one specific truth? So as we read through it, we want to understand, is, it, is this meant to be a parable or is this meant to tell us clear history? And so we look at the genre of it because we'll interpret things differently. Like if, if Psalm says that God created the darkness and we're like, ah, uh, well, it's, it's poetry. We're not trying to figure out how God created darkness. I mean, maybe he did. He's infinite. But we start, when we understand what genre it is, we know how to read it. There's also structural analysis. It was written on purpose in a certain way. We will look at Psalms at times that, let me see if I can explain this outside of my own head. Maybe line one, let's call it line A, has one certain meaning. Then line two is B. Three is C. And then all of a sudden it flips, and then as you keep reading, you see A, B, and C again. Does that make sense? So that you can draw lines and see how they connect to each other. They do that on purpose. There are, there's authors that talk, write about Jesus, and they'll collect stories together on purpose. There's um, Mark, and he writes a, this series of stories about Jesus to show how Jesus overcomes everything. He overcomes, first, he heals a sick person. He overcomes physical illness. Then he walks on the water and calms the storm. He overcomes nature. And then he meets this demon-possessed guy, and he heals him from that demon possession. He overcomes the spiritual realm. And over and over and over again, we see that Jesus overcomes every aspect of existence. And the author collected the stories together on purpose. That's that's a structure that the author did on purpose. And so we're going to look at that briefly in this psalm. There's also, and this is where you can have a lot of fun, the historical and the cultural analysis. This is where you try to see through the eyes of the person who wrote it, figure out what they meant to say in the history that they were in to their readers. So whenever you read something and you, you find a word that you don't know what that means, you go look it up. Or you find a place and you're like, where is that? And you go find out and you realize crazy things like whenever David escapes and he runs away, he goes to a city called Gath, which is wild because it happened to be the city that Goliath was from initially. And when David runs away to the city of Gath, he happens to be taking Goliath's sword that he just brought with him. And you're like, what is going on? But if we didn't pay attention to where Gath was, we wouldn't understand the significance of David going back to Goliath's hometown. And so we want to pay attention to the cultural and historical significance of these things. There's also keyword analysis. And the easiest way to describe this is look for Repetition. If you start seeing the word over and over and over again, put emphasis on it. Ask a question. Why is this word important? Why is this phrase used over and over and over again? The author is trying to teach us something. And then the theological importance. And I hope that every time you read scripture, always ask these two questions. What does this teach us about God? And what does it teach us about his people? The theological analysis. So, overall, we are asking the questions... What are we being told? Why are we being told this? And why are we being told this in this way? So, real quick, the genre of poetry is recognizable in three ways. One, the author sits down to use the best words in the best possible order to communicate a thought. The second is the language has rhythm and organization. And the third, and this is really simple, the lines just don't meet the margin on the sides of the paper. When you're looking there, you're like, oh, that's cool. That's poetry. If you look in your Bibles, you understand what I'm talking about, right? The words don't go all the way from the left to the right. It's like down the middle. Okay, cool, cool. 
So let's dig in. Psalm 111. I love this psalm. And we're going to dissect this a little bit and ask questions. I need to move my Bible. Jamie, I know what you meant by this podium is too small. It's it's so teeny. Psalm 111. We're We're going to cut this up, and we're going to look at this. We're going to squeeze every bit of knowledge out of it that we can. So let's read this together to begin with. Is it going to be up there? Oh, yeah, you have it in the papers. It was in your seat. Pull up your papers. I wanted to give it to you in hard copy so that if you have a pen, you can start drawing lines, circle words. You can mark it all up and start seeing what we're talking about. Take notes on the back, whatever you want to do. You have it in your hands. Let's read it together. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. That's us tonight. We are studying the works of God, and we're delighting in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts or all of his laws are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. Thank you, Jesus. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. You ready to jump in? Now, this is going to be a conversation. I'm going to ask you guys questions. I want you to like shout back at me because you're going to turn around and do e-groups. I'm going to give you a different psalm, and you're going to go through the same process. So this is a conversation tonight. This is not typical Dom is a sage on a stage and talks for way too long. Like We're having to have a conversation. So I'm going to ask questions. This is a genre analysis. What genre do you think that we are reading right now? Poetry. Pretty simple, right? How might this change how we read it? Anybody? A little bit less literally? What else? You can sing it if you wanted to. That's actually right on. Absolutely. This was meant to be a song that people sang together. It's, go ahead. It's, no, no, it's ordered. It has purpose. Say what? That would be awesome. Do you sing Hebrew? That would be awesome. All right, structural analysis. And I'll have to answer this question for you because none of us, including myself, read Hebrew, but I do have a commentary. And it told me that beginning with the line, I will give thanks to the Lord. So right after praise the Lord is actually an acrostic where in Hebrew, every line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's cool. Which is going to become really important when you look at the psalm for your e-groups because the Psalm 112 that you're going to look at is meant to be a companion to this one. It is also a Hebrew acrostic because they're meant to go together, and you'll have fun dissecting that, I hope. All right, so here's the fun part. Historical and cultural analysis. Do we know who it was written by? We don't have an authorship right there, but we do know when and where it was probably written. It was written in the exile when the Jews had lost Jerusalem and Israel, and most of them were kidnapped, basically, and drug into slavery into Babylon. And that's when a lot of these psalms that came after David, were collected and put together. And so we have to understand the cultural backdrop is that this is being written 
to people that are in oppression outside of their land, far away, under the thumb of a foreign nation. So when I ask what circumstances is the author in, he's in really dire circumstances. And he's writing to people that are in difficult circumstances, who are away from home and in slavery. So what do you think is the overall purpose of this psalm, having read it? That's right, to encourage people, absolutely. What else? What are some of the overall purposes that you see here? Yeah, they're going to praise the Lord. What else? Yes, they're giving thanks to the Lord together. What else? Yes, boom, to remember his great works. Why? Because they're trying to encourage themselves. They're trying to encourage each other to remember who their God is. Fantastic. Thank you. Take a look at verse 2. What works do you think the author is referring to that people study? His miracles? Which ones? The ones he did in their lives? Where would they study them? Who said it? Rakan, Eli? That's right. They would be studying the works of God from their Bible, which is the first five books of the Bible that we have today. So in verse 5, what event do you think the author is referring to? Verse 5, he provides food for those who fear him and he remembers his covenant forever. What event or events do you think he's referring to here? Boom! Absolutely. Why? Why do you think he's referring to then? Boom! Sean, rock on. That's right. He gave them food in the wilderness. And it was out in the wilderness that he established his covenant at Mount Sinai, right? See, you're thinking. That's it. That's, that's historical cultural analysis. All right, so verse 6. He has, cho- he has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. What event or events do you think he's referring to there? Boom! Excellent. Who's that? Rock on, James. That's right. They got to the promised land. They crossed the river, and God gave them the Canaanite land to all the nations that live there. Absolutely. Hey, you guys are knocking it out of the park. All right, verse 7 and 8. What precepts, what laws do you think the author is referring to here? Yep, Ten Commandments. What else? What other laws would they have had as Jews? Yes. Huh? Yeah, the Levitical laws. Absolutely. He's saying that they're trustworthy, that they're going to they're gonna keep them safe and protect them. Absolutely. We have verse 9. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. It goes back to being saved out of Egypt, right? So why are we, why are we being told this? Why was the purpose for this author writing? I think we already covered that, right? That's right. To remind them what happened. What was that? Rock on. Yeah, I heard someone else say something from over there. All right, so what are some words or phrases that you see repeated all the time? Keyword analysis. 
There's a whole bunch of them. What was the first one? Grace. Forever. That's another one. What else? Lord. Faithfulness. Praise. Yeah, I didn't see grace. Praise. Sorry. My hearing ain't no 2020 anymore. What other word? Forever, that's right, multiple times. If you look at your forevers, there's actually five forevers, and I love this. You have his righteousness is forever, his covenant forever, his precepts forever, and praise forever. Man, that is so cool. What else? What are some other key words? Covenant, trustworthy. There's one word that's used. Let me see, one, two, three, four, five. Works, yes. Why do you think there's an emphasis on God's works? What's what's the emphasis on God's works? Why? Yes! He takes action, right? He's not like this transcendent God that's like, oh man, sucks for you guys. He actually gets involved, right? How does he define his works? Great are the works. Splendor and majesty is his work. His wondrous works. The power of his works. The works of his hands are faithful and just. This is how our God interacts with his people. He takes action with his people. He provides for his people. And his covenant, his promises, his mercy, they last forever. Keyword analysis. Theological analysis. Here's where the rubber meets the road. And these answers are going to be based on the things that we've learned through the top four that we talked about. So knowing when it was written, who it was written by, and the circumstances it was written in, what do you think its intended reader, those in Babylon, are supposed to get out of this? Gives them hope that the Lord's going to save them, just like he did the last time, right? He brought them out of Egypt, right? His, in his hand was redemption. He brought them out and gave them the covenant. And they're like, Lord, do it again. Redeem us again. In the same way we were stuck in Egypt, we're stuck in Babylon. Bring your redemption again. What else? What else do you think the, the, the reader would get out of this? Joy. That's good. Yeah. Yes. Because his character is consistent, right? Forever, right? How many times do we see the word forever here? One, two, three. Yes, four, five. Yeah, oh man, that's so good. So what do we learn about who God is from Psalm 111? Say so what? He's reliable. Oh, so good. Sean, you're just knocking him out of the park, man. What else? What else do we learn about who God is? He provides. Yes. What else? He makes a path. Yeah. He's engaged. He's not disconnected. He's a parent who's involved. You know? Anything else? He's merciful. Thank you, Jesus. Patient. Man, all of that out of 10 verses. Last question. What do we learn about God's people, us, from this psalm? We're broken. Yeah, I like that. Lost sheep. We need a provider. We need him to take care of us. What else? I like it. 
Gavin, give yourself a fist bump. That's good. He's a way maker. What else? What else do we learn about God's people? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I, I love this. That verse in particular just rocks my world. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who practice it, it doesn't say they gain good understanding. It says they have good understanding. As in, for you to pursue wisdom means that you're already acting in wisdom. It takes wisdom to pursue wisdom. Are you following me? It's the foolish that don't pursue wisdom. And so with the day that you sit down and say, Lord, start teaching me. Help me grow in wisdom. Help me to fear you more. You are now acting in wisdom that you're praying for. That is so cool. What a God we serve. All in one little psalm. And I just picked this one out. As you guys read the Bible, as you look at story after story after story, it's fun to do these questions in like a gospel or in one of the Old Testament stories and start dissecting them and looking at places. It was so cool to break out the map and be like, oh, here's the David and Goliath story. It talked about how they were on two different mountainsides and there's one mountain and there's one mountain. And then you're like, oh, look, over here is Mount Carmel. This is where where Elijah prayed and God dropped fire on him. There it is. There's Mount Carmel. You start studying the places that you read about. You start learning what things are. You know, it's interesting whenever you hear the phrase, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. And you're like, what does that mean? Like, that sounds painful. But then you understand, like, the history that when you're in the marketplace and you're going to trade your your money, your silver, your goods for, say, wheat, they could just throw the wheat in the basket and hand you a basket. Or they could take the same amount of money and they could bless you by pressing it down into the basket. They could shake it so it settles to the bottom and put more on top of that. All of a sudden, when we read that about how God gives us his Holy Spirit, it means so much more that he's going he's gonna to pour it into us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We bring the little that we have to him, and he overflows in his return gift. That's understanding how much more we get out of that from understanding the historical context. So I want to take this thing to e-groups. But before that, I want to give you a challenge for the week. I told you tonight is so different from any other night. In your e-groups, you're going to study Psalm 112, and it's intentionally written as a counterpart, same acrostic. I'd like you to hold it up to what you have, and you can start drawing lines. You'll see that even verses correlate to each other on purpose. And I wrote down all the questions that I put in. You ask those questions in your e-groups. And e-group leaders, what I'd like you to do is ask more questions. Ask follow-up questions. Ask your students to ask questions. Let's just stir discussion. Ask them, like, what question do you have about this? What, what, make, what does this make you think about? Where does this lead you? What do you think the author meant when? Just spend your e-groups dissecting it and growing and stretching. And I've got those papers up here. I'll give those to the e-group leaders in a minute. Here's your challenge for the week. Select a portion of the Bible tonight and apply those five kinds of analysis. You're each going to get a list of what those are right over here, so you don't have to worry about writing it down. Or take a picture. Thanks, Noah. And stay on that one passage all week. Take a look at one of the stories, maybe in John, and just take those eight, ten verses and keep going back to it and look at these over and over again. Just marinate in that portion of Scripture. And I promise if you will, if you'll try this, 
you will be able to read that scripture in a way you never had before. Light bulbs will come on. Buzzers will go off. and You'll be like, wow, God is so amazing. This is not just ink on a page. This is God-breathed life. So that's my challenge for the week. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious God. Thank you that your righteousness endures forever. Thank you that you remember your covenant forever. And the only response that we can have is to praise you forever. Lord, we love you. We give you this time, and I pray that, that these will become an exercise, they'll become second nature to us, that as we read Scripture, we start asking more questions than we've ever asked before. We start understanding and seeing what the author meant to say instead of what we want it to say for, for ourselves. Lord, I pray that we begin to recognize whenever preachers decide to go off book because we're beginning to see context more and more and more. Lord, I pray that we become a people of truth. This is consistent, objective truth. And if we are reading to understand what you meant, then we're going to end up on the same page. So, Lord, may we be men and women of God of your word, that have it hidden in our hearts, that love it. Great are your works, O Yahweh, studied by those who delight in them. Lord, we will study your great works and delight in them. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.